Our sermon text is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. We are studying Ephesians. We've been studying it uh, for a couple of months now, I think. And our sermon series, it's called All Things Made One. The reason we've called it that is because the point of the book of Ephesians is about what God is doing, about his plan for all of creation. It's Ephesians 1.10. It says, It is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's what God is doing. God is uniting all things. And that plan of his begins here. It begins here in the church. And so it shouldn't surprise us as we get on into the book, as we're looking at chapter 4 today, It shouldn't surprise us when Paul gives us a command like the one we heard last week. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, it says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then verse 24, it says, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If the whole point of this book is unity, it shouldn't surprise us when When Paul tells us to put off the old self and put on the new, the first thing he is thinking about is not us as individuals. The first thing he is thinking about as the the way of the old self is those things that we do that damage our unity. The things that we do that damage our connectedness with one another. And he mentioned several, right? We just read them. Ariel, she read them for us. Uh, there's several different unity killers that he lists, but there's only one in the passage that he f- felt so compelled to mention twice, and that is anger. And today, as we are going to start looking at this practical thing, what does it mean for us as Christians to, to put off the old self and put on the new self? Today, I want to focus specifically on that one warning, anger, and the fallout that comes from it. So I got three quick points for you this morning. The first one is that our anger creates disunity. The second one is the Holy Spirit can heal our disunity. And the third point is our obedience, our obedience through putting away anger will produce joy. So anger, our anger creates disunity. The Holy Spirit can heal our disunity and obedience to this command will produce joy in our lives. So let's just jump right in. Verse 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. 
Did you know that anger is not a sin? Did you know that? Be angry and do not sin. There's no place in the Bible where it says something like, be filled with lust and do not sin. Right? It doesn't say, be prideful and do not sin. God never says, be envious and do not sin. No, he can't say that because those things are sin. Lust, pride, envy, those things are sin. But anger is not a sin. He says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, you can be angry and holy at the same time. That's pretty interesting, right? You see, sin, by definition, is something that is not of God. Sin is contrary to who God is. Sin is the opposite of holiness. But anger is not that. Anger is an attribute of God. Anger is, in fact, a correct response to this world sometimes. Anger is the proper and holy response to the fallenness of the world, right? So when we see racism, when we see corruption, when we see oppression, we should get angry. That kind of stuff is supposed to make us angry. When we are betrayed, when we're lied to, when someone steals from us, that makes us angry. And scripture tells us those things make God angry too. Nahum, an Old Testament deep cut, guys. <laughs> Nahum chapter 1 says in verse 2, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. God gets angry. Jesus, the meekest man, the sinless man, God the Son, who lived a sinless life, Jesus got angry, right? You remember the story of him whipping people out of the temple, turning over tables. You remember his anger when he said, woe to you Pharisees and hypocrites. The Bible, it shows us repeatedly that there is a good side to anger. There is a righteous anger. And this righteous anger, you know it because in its wake, it produces wholeness. In its wake, it produces healing. It brings judgment that results in justice. But in Ephesians, when Paul is speaking to us, he quotes from Psalm 4. So we read that too, just so you knew where it came from. But Psalm 4 is where it says, be angry and do not sin. Because we're made in God's image. We are able to get angry at those things that God gets angry at. But we're also sinners, right? Amen? We're fallen. And most of the time, our anger, even if it's, even when we're getting angry at the things that makes God angry, even if, those, if our anger is righteously motivated, our anger quickly becomes sinful. Our anger instead of bringing about righteousness 
Instead of bringing about healing, instead of bringing about justice, it brings destruction. It brings division. It brings disunity in the body of Christ. And the reason behind that, the reason our anger produces that kind of stuff is because our anger is not focused on the righteousness and the glory and the honoring of God, right? Our anger is focused on something else. Usually, our anger is focused on the righteousness and the glory and the honoring of ourselves, right? Dr. David Powelson, he's a, a, a psychologist. He's written a lot of great books. And, and there's one I want to recommend to you this morning. There's one called Good and Angry. And uh, there's a lot of really helpful stuff in there. I've I learned a lot from this sermon from it. So if you want to hear more, check out that book. Um, but in that book, he, he says that it's good for us to examine our anger. That when we are angry, we should always ask the question, why am I angry? But as we answer that question, we can really answer it in two different ways. One, on one hand, we can answer uh, the situation that's caused us to be angry. On the other hand, we can answer the motivation behind our anger. So there's always a situation, right? When we get angry, there's always some kind of situation involved. You might say, I'm angry because so-and-so interrupted me while I was speaking. I'm angry because it just took forever to get the kids in the car this morning. I'm angry because I'm running late. I'm angry because my roommate didn't wash the dishes. I'm angry because my spouse isn't doing their fair share around the house. I'm angry because I'm tired and it's been a hard day. But Powelson, he says, that's really not why you're angry. That anger, that's just the circumstance. But the reason for our anger is always deeper than that. The reason for our anger is based in, in deeper motivations. It's based in desires. The real answer to the question, why am I angry, is something more like, I'm angry because I want blank. You know what I'm talking about? When some particular desire you have gets frustrated? That's what makes us explode, right? Our anger, it reveals these urgent desires that we feel inside. The answer is, I'm angry right now because I need blank. See, if there's something that you absolutely must have, then you're going to explode when you don't get it. The answer is, I'm angry right now because I fear blank. Maybe you fear poverty or sickness, or maybe you fear losing your reputation. Maybe you feel being out of control, and so you have an angry tantrum or, or you become cold and hardened and you withdraw. Our anger, it exposes the things we fear. The answer is, I'm angry right now because I love blank with all my heart. You know that? Do you know your anger reveals the things that you cherish? It, it exposes what your ideals are. Right? Those things that you wish were true. And then when they don't come true or when they're not happening, when, they, when people aren't living the ways that you expect or desire, you get mad. Here's a quote. He says, our anger is not caused by the situation alone. It's caused by what we believe most deeply and what we, are most, what we most passionately cherish. 
right? Sometimes when we get angry, what do we say? You say, well, you know, so-and-so was really just pushing my buttons today, right? Anybody ever say that? This thing, it just pushed my buttons. Well, if all those things are true, then your buttons reveal a lot about who you are. Your buttons actually show who or what is really ruling you. Hmm. Your buttons reveal what really rules you. Our anger reveals our hearts. It shows us what we're really living for, what we really care about. So in your life, if there is a subject that you just can't ever discuss without getting angry, if there is a situation that you cannot endure without blowing up or lashing out, well, the problem is not the circumstance. The problem is not the situation. The problem is your heart. If that's the case, it means that there is something in your life that has control over you. That you are living for something other than God's glory in that moment. And if that happens to us, if we are ever living for anything other than the glory of God, then our anger is not a righteous anger. Our anger leads to destruction. It leads to sin. It leads to division. And that's why Paul's really serious here. Look in your Bibles if you got them. I don't remember what page we said this was on, but it's Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be angry and do not sin, verse 26. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, I just, I want to point out, do not let the sun go down in your anger is an idiom. Okay, so it's not a law. It's like, it ain't over till the fat lady sings, right? It's making a point. It's not that you have to stop arguing or you have to keep arguing all night to order not to, to, uh, to break this rule. But what it is saying is, don't let your anger keep going. The point that Paul is trying to make is, deal with your anger quickly. Certainly don't steepen it. Certainly don't savor it. Certainly don't let it drag out and go on and on and enjoy the feelings of your anger. Because let's be honest. Sometimes we like it, right? Sometimes we like being angry, don't we? We like the way it feels. Frederick Beekner, he put it this way. This is so cutting. It says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. But then he says this, the chief drawback though is that you are wolfing yourself down. And the skeleton at the feast is you. But you know, it's even worse than that. Paul says, we need to deal with our anger quickly, not just because we are wolfing ourselves down, not just because we are destroying ourselves, but he says that it's because Satan is using you to bring others down as well. 
Man. One pastor, he said that Satan knows how hard it is for us to handle our anger. And so he loves to lurk around angry people. Satan loves to lurk around angry people. He hopes to exploit them to his own advantage, to provoke them to hatred and to violence and to the breach of fellowship. Okay, let me just repeat that. Did you hear that? He says that Satan provokes us to hatred and violence and breach of fellowship. Think about that. Think about yourselves right now, just for a second. Is that true of you in any way? Are you at a place right now where you are living out hatred or violence or that your fellowship is broken? See, God's plan for us, God's plan for his church, God's plan for the world is to make us all one in Christ. But Satan's plan is to divide us. Satan's plan is to tear us apart. And so if you are angry right now, ask yourself why. What's at the root? You can ask yourself about the situation all you want, but ask yourself, what's the motivation behind my anger? But also, while you're asking yourself why, ask yourself who? Who is behind my behavior? Who is manipulating and controlling my actions? Is it the spirit of the living God or is it our enemy? Our anger, it creates disunity. That's the first point. The second point, though, is a little bit more positive. The Holy Spirit, he can heal it. Now remember, I, Paul in this section of Ephesians is talking about what it means to put off the old self and put on the new self. So the negative is just half of this, right? Don't be angry. All the don't do it stuff, that's only one half. Don't do this. Put off the old self. But there's still all the positive stuff he's asking us to do. It's not just stop it. It is put on Christ, put on the new self, put on the new ways. So open up your, your Bibles and you can see there's a few examples. Verse 25, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth. So don't tell lies, speak the truth. In verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So don't steal but instead work and give. Verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up and fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. He says, don't speak these rotten and destructive words, but instead build each other up. Put off the old, put on the new. And then finally, with anger, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Put off the old, put on the new. But that's easier said than done, right? How do we do that? How does this change from the old to the new? How does that happen in us, practically, realistically, today? Well, the answer is in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't see how that's the answer. <laughs> Let me explain, okay? What does that mean? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, that comment actually tells us two important things as we consider the switch from the old self to the new. First of all, it tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, okay? Maybe you know this in your head as as theology if you've been around the church, but it's important to know the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an abstract force. He is not the force, right? He he is a person who who has feelings, who, who, who has pain, who grieves over our sin, and especially the sin that brings division in the church, especially the sin that tears us apart and separates us. Paul tells us that to motivate us. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, hoping that maybe someday when you're, you're thinking about committing a crime or breaking the law or doing something shady and you might think of your mother's face, you know, what would my mother think? Maybe that would motivate you. He mentions us that your, our sin grieves the Holy Spirit so that it might motivate us away from it. So firstly, it tells us the Holy Spirit is a person. But secondly, that grief, that idea that, that the Spirit grieves over our sin, that reminds us that the Holy Spirit is present with us when we sin. The Holy Spirit, the living God, is with us right now. If you are a Christian, that's the truth. If you are a Christian, then you have been sealed with the Spirit of God for the day of redemption. Meaning, God himself dwells in you. And he is with you on this road to glory. The cure for anger, the way that we put off the old self, is not through the sheer force of will. It is by accessing the power of God that is available to the people of God at every moment. Do you hear me? It's not by just the force of will. We are going to change by accessing the power of God that is available to the people of God at every moment. And here's an example. This is something also that I I picked up from that book. I think it's a helpful one, though. uh, Dr. Pallison, he uses the example of somebody who's caught in traffic. So imagine yourself caught in traffic, late for an appointment. Seems like you're never going to get there. You're already 10 minutes late. In that moment, you start to get angry, right? You start to get frustrated. You start to get upset. And he says, in that moment, it's not enough for you to simply ask, Why am I angry? It's not even enough for you to find out the motivations behind your anger. That's not going to fix the problem. At that point, when you have discovered why you're angry, when you have examined your your motivations behind it, then he says we need to ask ourselves, what is true? What do I know to be true? And for that answer, he points to Psalm 23. You guys know Psalm 23? That's a pretty famous one, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Imagine that in the midst of your anger. Imagine that in the moment when you're sitting in the car, stuck in your car with a dead cell phone, feeling frustrated and alone and threatened by the world. 
No wonder you're irritated, right? No wonder you're anxious. But David says in that moment, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the midst of David's frustration, in the midst of his hardship, in the midst of his fear, he's able to say, I'm not alone. I lack nothing that I need. Someone is with me. The Lord is watching over me. Someone is taking care of me. And that's what Paul is saying to you too in Ephesians 4. The Spirit of God is with His people. You have been sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Psalm 23, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You remember that part? That's helpful, right? It's saying that God is leading us. We're sealed for the day of redemption. God is with us. He has a plan. If Christ is your Savior, then you are on a path. Even in the midst of the worst thing you can imagine, even in your angriest moment, God has you on a path. And that path is going to end in your redemption. It's a path of righteousness. It's a path in which every wrong thing will be made right. Every wrong thing in you, your anger, your bitterness, your fear, your anguish, your cold withdrawal is being worked out. In Christ, the promises right now, all that stuff is being worked out in you. And not just the things in you. Everything wrong in this world is being worked out. It's being redeemed. Even in those most stressful moments, God has not left you. He is actively working in the people of God. He is working in you to make you a person of peace, not a person of war. I wish we had time to actually just walk through all of Psalm 23 and apply every single line of it. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. We can't do the whole thing, but here's the basic point. God is present. God is personal. God is active. He's present. He's not far away from you. He is personal. He's not just some idea. It's not just some abstract concept. He is active. He is not hands-off in your life. And the way that you're going to be able to address your anger, the way you're going to be able to put off your old self and put on the new is to find strength in Him. In a, in a real and practical way. you got to receive from Him that promise that He's got us. That He sees you. That He has not left you behind. Do you pick up on David's language in that psalm? What does he say? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are with me, right? He's, it's second person, right? It's, it's, it's not God comforts me, but he says, you comfort me. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. I was really convicted about that this week. Because I think about myself and my own anger and who I talk to. I found this quote, it says, angry people always talk to the wrong person. They talk to themselves. 
rehearsing the failings of others. They talk to the people they're mad at, reaming them out for real and imaginary failings. They talk to people who aren't even involved, gossiping and slandering. He says, but chaotic, sinful, headstrong anger starts to dissolve when you talk to the right person. When you talk to the good shepherd who sees, who hears, and who is mercifully involved in your life right now. If that really happens, if we can not just assess our situation scientifically, logically, but if we can actually engage with our living God in the midst of our anger, then not only will we find the strength to put off the old self, but but we'll be able to connect with the living God. We'll be able to become like Him, that He's going to give us the strength to put on the new self. Not only to stop being angry, but to positively be kind, to be loving, to forgive others. See, our anger, it creates disunity, but the Holy Spirit can give us the power to heal it, to change it. And lastly, the last thing I want to say here is that that our obedience in that way will produce joy in our lives. Do you believe that? You know, this isn't easy. I want to point that out. This is not easy stuff. I'm talking about it, giving some philosophy about how not to be angry, but it's not easy, right? There's nothing that I want less than to cool off and relax when I'm really upset. It's not what I want. It's the opposite of what I want. And sometimes when we come to these commands in the Bible, don't be angry, it can feel like a tremendous burden. We see the things we're supposed to do And we get crushed because we know how impossibly hard it really is. Right? It might look really nice to have a little doily cross stitch that says, be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. It looks nice on the wall, but it is terrifying when you're truly angry. But I want to remind you of something. The law of God is calling us to joy. When God points out our sin like this, when he says don't be angry, what he is really doing is showing you the path to the satisfaction you really want. He is showing you the path to deep satisfaction in him. He's showing you how you can find joy and contentment, the very thing you want, right? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you're seeking? When you blow up at your kids, when you blow up at your spouse or your roommate, or when you become distant and cold, or when you're giving somebody the silent treatment, isn't that what you're really looking for? You're thinking, if I do this, things are going to get better somehow. If I do this, this will give me what I want. If things would just go my way, I'll be happy. If the kids would just listen if the traffic would just ease up, if my spouse would just see things from my point of view. We get angry because these circumstances 
seem like they are getting in the way of our happiness. But they aren't. See, God shows us the path to joy, and it is right here. And you know what, folks? The path to joy is independent of our circumstances. Somebody say amen to that. The path to joy is independent of our circumstances. It comes in living not the old life of sin, but living a new life that is spirit-filled in communion with the living God. See, folks, God wants to free you from the emotional chaos of your sin. He wants to call you into joy and freedom. And he wants to call you into that by showing mercy to other people. And so he closes with this. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He says, you forgive each other as God in Christ forgave you. Because he knows that that kind of radical obedience, that kind of flipping of the switch to go from being angered, angry to being merciful and kind, that can only happen to a soul who has known that kind of forgiveness firsthand. That kind of mercy can only be offered by a soul that has received that kind of mercy themselves. That's the story of Scripture, right? Scripture tells us that our sin has made God angry. Righteously angry. God is angry with us. Because we have destroyed his world. Because we have harmed one another. We have propagated systemic injustice. And personally, we treat the people we love like trash. We genuinely deserve God's wrath. We genuinely deserve his anger. That's what scripture tells us. But in Christ, God has shown us mercy we don't deserve. He sent his son to live a life of righteousness in our place. He sent his son to live a life that instead of earning God's anger and wrath, earned his pleasure and his delight. And on the cross, Jesus took God's wrath in our place. He suffered under God's righteous and just and holy anger. He suffered for our hatred and our violence and our injustice. And now the good news of the gospel is this. If you will turn to him, if you would receive Christ as your Savior, then you will receive the delight of God. You will receive the delight that Christ has earned and he will get the wrath that you have earned. You will receive the delight of God forever. In Christ, God has forgiven us so greatly that we can actually say the very thing that David says in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Only when you have received that kind of forgiveness can you forgive others. Especially people who don't deserve to be forgiven. And so right now, 
I just want to invite you, before we come to this table, to examine your hearts. If you're not a Christian here today, if you don't know the Lord, I want to tell you very plainly, as plainly as I can, God is actually still angry with your sin. He still has wrath for your sin. And one day that wrath will be poured out. But today he offers you grace and mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and if it, I, I want to say, if that's something you want today, if you are ready to receive that forgiveness, come and don't delay. Don't wait. That grace and that mercy is open and available to you. But to Christians, I want you to, to step back for a second before we come up here, and I want you to examine the way your relationships look right now. Okay, ask yourself this question. Are you sowing peace or are you sowing discord? Are you living in the old ways or are you living in the new ones? How about this? Would the people closest to you describe you as a kind and tender-hearted and forgiving person? Or would they call you angry and wrathful? If you don't know the answer, you should ask. Ask them what they think. If you think the answer is, oh, I'm doing just fine, you should definitely ask. And then repent. But don't just repent, guys. Believe. Believe that in Christ, God is offering you His grace today. That He is offering you His care and His joy today if you would just come and follow Him. And don't just believe it, but obey. Obey and find that in your obedience you, you will discover joy. You will receive joy. You will experience a life that glorifies God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you give us this word. And we're grateful that you give us these commands, Lord, that you desire a world where we are not angry with one another. But not only that, we desire a world where we are showing each other the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray, Father, that that would be true of us. That we would not be wrathful, that we would not be malicious, but instead we would be overflowing with the love of the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.